Father, you are so good. Your kindness to us is seen every day when we wake up and we experience the common graces of health, the sun rising, air to breathe, and in this country, freedom. Our God, we are thankful that you have given us this privilege to have freedom. And we know that freedom has not come cheaply, but at a great cost. Many have given their lives to secure our freedom. And many still today put their lives on the line to maintain that freedom. Thank you for men and women that have given themselves to that important endeavor. Thank you for their sacrifice and their work. We ask that you would duly reward them uh, for their effort. We think, Father, of uh, a sister church in Texas. We know each one that has been impacted. Many of them are in your presence, and we rejoice in that. Uh, but there are many that are not in your presence. They're, they're left behind here on this earth and dealing with the pain and turmoil and trauma of such an experience. Dear Father, even in this day, we pray that you would envelop them with comfort and grace. And Father, we pray for churches all around the world today that are meeting subject to like challenges. We ask um, where your will would allow it for this protection uh, from the evil of men and women. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to gather in the confidence that you have every person in your sovereign purposes and care, and we can trust you. We pray, Father, that you would help churches, ours included, to rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Help us to worship you and you alone, viewing your salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, empowered by your Spirit, led by your Spirit, illuminated by your Spirit. We need you, and we want you, in this day, in this hour, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Think of how your life has changed through the years. Think about how your busyness has changed over the years. I was thinking through this, and maybe you'll resonate with some of the things that I say. I, I trust your experience is different than mine, but, um, but at least we have some commonality in that things change over time. I remember my high school years, I would be out the door at 7.40, get to school for 8.25, be in my, school, my classes until 2.30 or 2.35, whenever it ended, and then immediately after that, there was either soccer practice, basketball practice, or baseball practice on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. That lasted until 5.30, drive home, or at the time for me, that was a half an hour drive, so home 5.30, 6 o'clock, have dinner, finish dinner after, say, 6.30, whatever it is, and then do homework, and then not much time left in the day, go to bed, start it all over the next day. You know, and you think, man, I'm busy. And then college years come, and like I, can, I could go through my college schedule, but it changed every, every semester. But I do, I do remember one of my summers where I had uh, three jobs. <laughs> three jobs, I, I worked all three shifts. <laughs> I don't think that was really wise, but I did. I, I worked a, a day shift here, and then a, uh, an, an evening shift, at um, a pizza delivery place and then a night shift with, with my brother uh, Brian uh, renovating one of the office supply stores uh, overnight. And so that was fun to try to get a couple of hours of sleep in somewhere in the time. Um, that was, you know, you think, man, it just can't get any busier than this. And then, then the young married years come and I remember getting up, driving a truck. I was out the door by 3.45 in the morning, home sometime in the mid-afternoon 
when I got home in the mid-afternoon, I had some studying to do because I was, I was teaching here, so I would either study for whatever lesson I was preparing or I was preparing my ordination paper or I was working on my seminary work. It's like, think, oh, you just can't get any busier. Yeah, right, and then kids come. You know what I mean? It's like we're always thinking at some point something's going to give and it will get a little easier. I can see you're resonating with me because you're all still waiting for, for that to take place. It, 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 hasn't, it hasn't gotten easier, has it? Like, you're busy. There's always something to do. There's always some demand on you at every minute of the, of the day. And because of that demand, uh, it is very easy for our schedule to manage us. And it can seem like the world is closing in on us. Um, we all face these challenges. And due to these challenges, it's easy to get caught up in our own lives. The world closes in. We forget that there are bigger things, bigger things than our daily or weekly schedule. What I'm hopeful for, for us, myself included, is as we go through the book of Philippians, is that God will will unveil before our eyes the importance of seeing a bigger picture than ourselves. A bigger picture than our own schedule. Whether that schedule includes lots of important and good things. But if we, if we get closed in into our own little world, our own little family world, we really are missing out on the joy that God has for us. Of all the things, of all the things that we participate in, the things that will last will be a result of God's work through the gospel. Of all the things that we participate in, the things that will last are the things that God does, his work through the gospel. So as we continue our study of the book of Philippians, as we dive in again, uh, there's some things that I think will be helpful for us to understand Paul is using a standard formula for letter writing in the Greco-Roman culture. Greece and Rome, they, the culture that was formed by, by those societies as they went from one world power to the next, uh, you know, amalgamating the Grecian Empire into the Roman Empire and all the things that came through. They developed certain elements of culture, and their letter writing was one of those things. And you can actually see the Greco-Roman um, letter writing formula in Paul's letters. And I just want to give you just a little bit of information about this because I think it will help us to understand as we look at these opening verses of the book that Paul is following this formula and you'll find little, little nuggets in this opening section of what's really on his mind. You know, you think about some, you know, writing an email and you know, you, you know dear so-and-so. And then you, you start, you get the perfunctory things out of the way. I hope that you're all doing very well. You know, I, you know, I hope your week is going great. The weather here has been fine. And then you actually get to what you're going to talk about. Well, in Paul's introductions to his letters, he's actually starting to drop little hints as to what the purpose of the letter is. So just for the sake of your information, um, I want to show you what the Greco-Roman letter writing formula. It'll be on the screen. If you're interested in more in these notes, they're on the, the counter in uh, Lynn's office. You can get them after. I made some extra copies. But it would always open with the opening salutation. In this instance, in verse 1, it's from Paul and Timothy, who are servants of Jesus Christ. And it's to, so we're giving the addressees, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the Deacons, and so we've got the from and the to. It's from me, it's to you, we've got that, it's pretty easy. The, the standard pattern of the day, there would be a greeting that would come next, be like, greetings. Paul has adapted, he's adapted the letter writing to now, instead of saying greetings, he says grace and peace. He uses two biblical words, you kind of think of it like a New Testament term, grace, uh, God's empowerment, God's favor, God's kindness toward you, and then peace, the shalom of God, the, the wellness of spirit. He's wishing them well. It's, it's basically from generic greeting to 
God's grace and God's peace be upon us, be upon you. So there's, there's the idea as he, as he opens the letter. Then there would be generally either a prayer, a blessing, or a thanksgiving. And, and Paul does us one better, and he gives us a thanksgiving and a prayer. The section we're looking at this morning, verses 3 through 8, is a thanksgiving. And then next week, or the next time, in a couple of weeks, the verses 9 through 11, the prayer section. So he gives us two for one. Normally, they would only include one of them. And then from there, you get into the body of the letter. Uh, he starts that in chapter 1 and verse 12. It goes right to chapter 4 and verse 20. Some people say it ends at chapter 4 and verse 9, and then the, you, know, you know chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, he talks about thanking them. He's thanking them for the gift that they sent him. Um, I don't think that that's an addendum. I think that that is part of the body of the letter. So he does that, and then there's a final, final greeting and farewell at the very end of the book. During the course of the introduction, he is dropping some hints, though, about the purpose of the letter. What we want to notice in this section, the Thanksgiving section, which is our assignment this morning, is uh, we will notice a strong emphasis upon gospel partnership. Gospel partnership. Look at verse 5. He says, because of your partnership, the word there is koinonia in the Greek, partnership in the gospel. The word koinonia means fellowship, it means participation, it means a oneness of experience, sharing together life, but this life is not just life in general, not koinonia like, hey, we're going to go down to the club and hang out. This is fellowship in the gospel. This is participation in the gospel. Gospel partnership. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers. Now the word here for partakers is soon koinonas. Here koinonia there. Koinonas is just a different form of it. Koinonia with soon. That means with. So it's together partnership. So he's, he's kind of really um, supercharged the idea here. It's not just a fellowship, but it's a, it's a fellowship with. We're participating together. And the participation regards the gospel. So I keep talking about gospel partnership, and I want for us to understand this. But in verse 3, he says, I thank who? Who is he thanking? He's not thanking the Philippians. He's thanking God. What is he thanking God for? He's thanking God for the Philippians. So he's really recognizing that the Philippian believers there, the Philippian church, are there by means of God's good hand, God's good grace, God's sovereign working. So he's thanking God for them. And since we keep talking about gospel partnership, I think it would be helpful for us to understand exactly what, what I mean by, by using that term again and again. And we can do that just by looking through chapter 1. He's going to give us some, some definition, essentially, of what gospel partnership is just by how he communicates in this first chapter. First of all, I want for us to notice that gospel partnership is support during difficulty. Gospel partnership is support during difficulty. Look again at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. In what forum? Well, both in my imprisonment. And then he goes on. But their participation with him was in his imprisonment. In the first century, if you were imprisoned, they, they didn't really care a lot about you. They provided you with a space. If you needed something, you needed a friend. If you wanted food, you needed a friend. If you needed a change of clothing, you needed a friend. And the Philippians were that for him, as well as other people. They would come alongside of Paul during his imprisonment and, and supply during his difficult time. And that is part of gospel partnership. And listen, you have problems, don't you? Your people you know have problems. They need your support. That is part of gospel partnership, is seeing someone weak and hurting and coming alongside of them to lift them up. That's part of gospel 
uh, partnership. Secondly, gospel partnership is support in mission. Support in mission. He says, both in my imprisonment and, he uses now two words, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The word defense is apologia. Your apologetics there. Okay, People are, are against the gospel. Well, those who are gospel partners are going to be proponents for the gospel. We're not fighting the opponents. We're fighting for the gospel. We're defending the gospel. We're, we're going to keep propounding and explaining and standing for the gospel. This is part of gospel partnership. What Paul was in prison for is what that church stood for. What people in another city have come, have someone come in and execute them is what we stand for. And we will not back down. We will not go away because someone threatens us with harm. The gospel is too vital. The gospel is too important. It's true life-giving. We can't back down because someone threatens us. And Paul says, you are gospel partners in the defense of the gospel and in the confirmation of the gospel. That has the idea of, of confirming its truthfulness. You believe it, you stand upon it, you hold it up. Now, if you think about it in terms of how Paul spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, we sit on it and we hold it up. We sit on the truth, we stand on the truth, and we hold it up. Confirmation of the gospel. So, gospel partnership is support in mission. Thirdly, gospel partnership is living out the product of the gospel. This is important. Gospel partnership is living out the product of the gospel. We don't sell anything, do we? We're not going to sell someone the gospel. But I can tell you this. When the gospel is received, when the gospel is embraced or believed, it produces something. Jesus spoke about it like a, a sower going out to the field and, and sowing seeds. He mentions four groups. The first three, no fruit. Only the fourth see, uh, scenario was fruitful. The gospel, when received and embraced and believed, is fruitful. And he talks about that in verses 9, 10, and 11. In verse 9, it has the product of an overflowing love. In verse 10, it has the product of purity. He uses a few different words in verse 10. Look what he says. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. Pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about purity. That's a result of the gospel. This is his prayer. That the gospel would have such an impact that that product would come out. And then verse 11, it has to do with righteousness. He says, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so the gospel that is lived out has a product. Gospel partnership doesn't leave a person the way they come in. We come in with baggage and we leave with the same baggage. No, the baggage is changing. We're dropping some of the bags off. Some of that baggage has no claim on us anymore. That's the glory of the gospel because the gospel sets us free. We've been bound to our own passions, bound to our own lusts, bound to our own appetites. The gospel comes and sets us free from it. Don't believe, don't believe a false gospel that does not change you. A gospel that does not change you is not the gospel. The gospel has a product. If you and I are going to be participants of the gospel, it's going to be because that gospel, God's gospel, God's work through the gospel, produces things like love and purity and righteousness. Fourthly, gospel partnership is proclaiming the gospel. You see that in verses 12 to 18. I just want to point you to verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, 
I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Folks, the gospel participation or gospel partnership is not just about standing for something and believing something. It is also proclamation. Proclamation. The gospel is not just lived out, though it is lived out. The gospel must be proclaimed. It can be proclaimed by a keyboard. You know, you type really nice. I type with six fingers. Yeah, I'm pretty good at my six-finger typing. I wish I could type with all ten, but I don't. You can, you can proclaim the gospel with your keyboard. It is better, in addition to that, to proclaim it with your lips where you go. Your life must display it, but your lips must proclaim it. That is gospel partnership. This is the call for the church. Fifthly, gospel partnership is prayerful support of, I have it two ways, gospel ministry or gospel ministers. Okay? In the context here, it's gospel ministers, but you can also pray about their ministry, so what they're doing. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And so Paul's in difficulty, and the church at Philippi cares about it. You think about the missionaries that we support and other missionaries outside of our own support system. They're, they're out on the, the field, whether it be the Grace Dental Medical Mission, they're, they're out on the field um, in various locations. Or you talk about the Bixby's in France, or the Michaud's in Papua New Guinea. You know, various people in their various fields, or people that, that maybe you've come in contact from a different source, praying for them as they bring the gospel. Gospel partnership includes that prayerfulness, support, prayerful support of them in the midst of their, their ministry. You can see it in, in the book of Colossians chapter 4 and in uh, the book of 2 Thessalonians where Paul is saying, hey, pray for me that the word of God would have its impact. That God would open doors for the gospel. And so there's a, a beseeching, an asking for prayer, and then a supply of the prayer. Gospel partners participate by praying for gospel ministry and gospel ministers. Sixth, just from chapter one. Now, we're not going through the whole book this time. Just looking at chapter one because I'm going to keep talking about gospel partnership. And I want to make sure that's not just becoming some word that doesn't mean anything. I want us to understand what gospel partnership is. Sixth, gospel partnership is living, living for the progress and joy of others. Gospel partnership is living for the joy and progress, or the progress and joy of others. Look at verses 24 and following. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all. For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Not glory in me, but glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so what we want, if, if we're going to properly minister the, the gospel together, it's because we're going to think about the progress and joy of others rather than the progress and joy of ourselves. Well, that, that just isn't American. The American dream is to get it for yourself. Hope that other people do too, but to get it for yourself. You have this dream. You can, you can achieve whatever you conceive. All right. Not sure that that actually works that way, but don't stop dreaming. Don't stop trying. But just because you conceive it doesn't mean you can achieve it. It might not be God's purposes for you, but in, in the... The gospel partnership world, in church life, my concern should be your progress and your joy, not my progress and my joy. Seventh, last one for this, this consideration. Gospel partnership is striving for the faith of the gospel. This is important, okay? As he ends chapter one, he gives us really what is at the heart of gospel partnership. He, he tells us that it's a striving. So look at verses 27 and following. Only let your manner of life be worthy 
of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He uses the word soon athleo. You hear with soon, mentioned a few already. Soon is with athleo. What does that sound like? Athletic, athletize. Just made up a new word for you. Um, being athletic, working hard, striving for something. Listen, you don't become LeBron James or Michael Jordan or let me think of some football player, Carson Wentz. So you don't become an excellent professional athlete without putting in tremendous effort. You can't. It's impossible. The word athletic is used for the sake of, there's this passion, there's this drive, there's this work that's being put in, but it's soon athleto, with athleto, striving together, striving together, working together. Why, why do we have to strive together for the faith of the gospel? Because there are opponents, verse 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. There are people that oppose the gospel. We're not striving against them. We're striving for the gospel. Some will oppose that striving for the gospel. Okay, in verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also, what's that next word say? Suffer, Suffer for his <laughs> sake. Suffer for his sake. <clears throat> That's not natural. No one wants to suffer on purpose, unless you have a bigger, a bigger prize in mind. We don't want to suffer unless there's a carrot at the end. There's got to be something, some means to why I suffer. I don't want to suffer for nothing. Well, Paul has that for us in just a moment. Verse 30. Engaged in the same, what does it say? Conflict that you saw I had and now hear I still, that I still have. What conflict is this? It's standing for the gospel. It's the proclamation of the gospel. It's the living out of the gospel. It's the demonstration of the gospel. Gospel partnership is not easy. You want the easy life. This ain't for you. I am not Joel Osteen. He's got another message than the gospel. The gospel does not eliminate difficulty. The gospel produces difficulty for us. But it's difficulty that's worth it. Why do I say it's worth it? The more we grasp the significance of gospel ministry, the more we will be able to put our lives in perspective. We are fighting, listen, for the salvation of people's eternal souls. We are fighting for the salvation of people's eternal souls. Striving together for the faith of the gospel is about more than this momentary affliction. It's about more than our temporary pain. We must realize that we are part of something much more significant than anything else that this life has to offer. Verse 28, let's look please there again. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their what? Destruction, but of your what? Salvation and that from God. He opposes destruction with salvation. What we're talking about is life and death. Death and life. Destruction and salvation. Damnation, condemnation with salvation and redemption. Why suffer for the gospel? Why place my, my world underneath something else 
Because don't you know, I am very important. What I need is very important. What I desire is very important. Well, well not, not if it does not look beyond this life. Some of us know better than others how short this life is. Listen, I'm, I'm older than I was, but I'm only 41. Most of you are older than I am. You know better than I am how short life is. You've probably experienced more of the loss of life than I have. You know how short this life is and how fleeting it all is. But folks, let us allow those experiences to teach us that this life is about far more than what I'm experiencing from a day-to-day -day perspective. It's about greater things. God has this, the greatest plan for us. Involving ourselves in gospel partnership is involving ourselves in things that are eternal, which is why everything else can be relegated to second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh place, because we're talking about eternity. So when I refer to gospel partnership, listen carefully, please. I am speaking about participation or investment of our entire life into the ministry of the gospel. The investment of our entire life. What is this for? Who is this for? Who, who, is, who is this letter to? Well, it's to the church of Philippi, to the saints at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. It's, it's to every believer that sits in this room. Gospel partnership is for you. You and I, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, must, must be involved in gospel partnership. It's not for a special class of ministers, it's for the whole church. So, for the next few minutes, 10 or so, 12, do I hear 15? Can you give me 15? Can you give me 20? Next 10 minutes or so, being purposely vague, I want for us to look through this Thanksgiving section, verses 3 through 8, and I want for us to capture five benefits of gospel partnership. Five benefits of gospel partnership. First of all, gospel partnership produces thanksgiving. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. And so right here, you see the heart of Paul, and he's remembering this group of people. He didn't know them that long, but he knew them enough that their lives had been intertwined. And he knew them enough that the partnership that had been established and their mutual care for one another had made him, when he went to prayer, he thought of them. Every time he thought of them, he thought, man, I'm thankful for them. You have people like that in your life, you think, every time I think of so-and-so, I'm thankful for them. I have people like that. There are people that, that really uh, have been such a blessing and a help to me uh, through difficult times, through good times. They're just like, like a rock. They, they never never waver from support uh, of, of me and, and, and who I am as a person and who I am as a pastor. And you know, every time I think, I just I thank the Lord. In every prayer of mine with joy because of the partnership in the gospel. Now, true ministry, whatever sort that ministry is, true ministry produces thanksgiving. I want for us to look at one sample of it, and we're going to come right back. So, so hold your hand here. We're going to read a passage and come back. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this passage, the, 
the, the ministry is giving, okay? This is not a, a sermon on giving. I didn't bring you here so I could preach at you about giving. The concept is ministry, gospel participation, and this example that we see here is about giving, okay? And what I want for us to see is not the giving, but the result of giving. What is the result of giving, which is a form of gospel ministry? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely and has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So you see there's some results of giving right there. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower. Now, who's the one that supplies seed to the sower? God is, right? Who's the sower? In the context, the sower is the one who gives. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, you see, again, another outflow or outworking of this ministry is God supplying more opportunity for ministry by supplying more um, source for ministry. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce what? What will it produce? Now, the, the particular ministry here is giving, but that's just an, an illustration for us in our look. The ministry resulted not only in God supplying other things, but it resulted in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in what? Many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. They gave and the people thanked God. We minister and people thank God. This is a benefit of gospel ministry. I don't need a, a pat on the back. You don't need a pat on the back. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, thank you for this. I appreciate your service. I appreciate your, your ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. But the ultimate desire is that thanksgiving would abound to the glory of God. That's what gospel partnership does. It's one of the products, one of the benefits. Back in Philippians chapter 1, gospel partnership produces joy. Gospel partnership produces joy. Everyone wants to be joyful, don't we? Look at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why is he praying with joy? Because, in verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Joy is the condition of the soul. Joy is the condition of the soul that expresses itself in rejoicing. Joy is the condition. Rejoicing is the action. Because of people's participation in the gospel, there's a, a, a joy welling up. And that joy wells up and expresses itself forth in rejoicing. Now, we know that joy is not dependent or determined by circumstances. James 1 tells us about that. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into, here's the King James word for you, diverse temptations. Multiplied, multiple, various temptations. Joy in the midst of difficulty. Joy is a product of the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So the Spirit produces joy. Another element that we want to understand about joy, partnership, or gospel partnership produces joy, but joy 
is a manifestation of God's kingdom. Boy, that should, that should matter to us. If God's kingdom consists of joy, and we say, hey, God, you've translated me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of your love. We say that, right? Because it's a Bible verse. Excuse me, Colossians. We say that. If that's the case, then where we are, there should be a demonstration of that kingdom. Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. We all like that, but that's not what the kingdom of God is about. But of righteousness and peace and what? Joy in or from the Holy Spirit. So gospel partnership produces thanksgiving and joy. Thirdly, it produces confidence. Confidence. Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This is why he gives thanks. This is why he makes his prayer with joy, because of their partnership. Now, in our Bibles, if you have an ESV, there's a period at the end of verse 5, and it starts a new sentence in verse 6, but uh, it is not so in the original. And so the King James and the New King James reflect it this way, being confident of this very thing. R starts a new sentence, and I am sure of this. Not as clear. Verse 6 pulls verse 5 forward, okay? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, we know that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it or bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so verses 5 and 6 are connected. He's pulling the gospel partnership down into verse 6, and this is important for us. Remember who Paul, Paul is thanking. He's thanking God. God. God's work has caused a beginning, a present, and an assured future. God's work has caused a beginning, a present, and an assured future. Why do I say that? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day. Well, were they there at creation? No, that's not what he's talking about. Were they there at the beginning of the church? That's not what he's talking about. When you got saved. Because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until he has the now. We don't see the now. We just have now. But it's until the now. He's emphasizing the now. From the first day until the now. You've been involved in gospel partnership, in gospel ministry, from you were saved until this very moment. And being confident of this very thing, he who began that good work in you and has brought you to this very moment, he will also bring you to completion. He will bring you to glorification. He will bring you to final and full redemption. You see, God is the one who produces, sustains, and completes salvation. He is the God of salvation. What, why is this so important to us? The confidence that is produced in this context has to do with gospel participation. Listen, listen to this statement. It's mine. It's original with me. I'm sure that it's not too original. It's just I'm the one that wrote the sentence, okay? Active participation in gospel ministry produces a confidence that God has begun a work he surely will complete. Active participation in gospel ministry produces a confidence that God has begun a work he surely will complete. You see, that statement is stated in the positive. How about, and I don't want to turn negative here, and I'm not a negative person, I think you know that by now, but if you turn the statement negative, a lack of active gospel gives us a lack of assurance 
that God has begun a work that he truly will complete. Folks, the church is not about a circus leader, a ringleader, and then the people that are in the crowd. The church is about a body of believers actively participating in the gospel ministry together. It has the, the benefit of bringing thanks to God, of bringing joy to others, and confident assurance, confident assurance that God is actively at work. He has done, is doing, and will complete his work that he's begun in you. This comes through active participation, not sidelines participation. We, we have to find ways to actively minister the gospel. You, you do. You must. I must. We must. Prayerfully proclam... Uh, hmm, how do I say that word? With great proclamation, right? That we have to, to do it through giving, through uh, coming alongside of others by actively living out the product. Remember that was love and purity and righteousness. These things have to be in place. And it gives us confidence, not in ourselves. It gives us confidence in God. And so now we move to two more, and, and we'll be done in just a, a couple of moments here. Number four, gospel participation, or excuse me, gospel partnership produces affection. It produces affection. Look what he says in verse seven. It is right for me to feel this way, that God is giving you confidence, that I'm confident for you. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. You have a special place in my heart, is how we would say that. I hold you, I treasure you in my heart, he says. In verse 8, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all. With the affection, is a good word in the Greek, splagnon. With my guts. But it's not my guts. It's the splagnon or the affection of Christ. Jesus has given me an affection for you. It's one of the things that happens when you labor side by side for the gospel is you have this affection. That doesn't mean we don't annoy each other. It doesn't mean we don't ever say something dumb to, to someone else and, and there's a, a minor irritation. But if minor irritations make us not have affections for Christ, then we are really, we're really shallow people. But gospel partnership produces affection. We don't have time to look at Colossians 2, but you can look at it later. If you want these notes, they're on the, on the counter in Lynn's office. Colossians 2 talks about um, our hearts being knit together in love. Lastly, gospel partnership produces a share, shared experience of grace. Gospel partnership produces a shared experience of grace. Look in the middle of verse 7. I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Now remember the word, soon, with me. Koinonos, koinonia, participation with, of what? Of grace. You are partakers with me of grace. And that is because of our participation in the gospel, there's a, a shared experience of faith, of, of grace. We, we don't hang tight through difficult circumstances without the grace that God grants. You know, we come ac across difficult things, and if we're, if, if we're totally locked in on the circumstance, maybe you can stiffen your upper lip and, and pull yourself up by the bootstraps for a little while and, and fight through it, but after a while, you get worn down. But when we're participating in the gospel together, and we know what God is doing, and God is granting us grace. We can get through anything. We can get through anything. There, there's more to this. And so we have the illustration of the Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew Christians. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's on the screen. Uh, verses 32 and 33 says this, but, I, I, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, so after you were saved, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and afflictions, and sometimes 
being partners with those who are treated. In other words, remember when you were first saved and there were all these difficulties. You had difficulties or you helped those that were having difficulties. Now, if we stop there, it would be a good illustration. Verse 34 brings it up a notch. Look what he says. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Why did you joyfully accept the plundering of your goods, or your body, or all the things that you hold dear? Why would you joyfully suffer? Well, he says, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Folks, this body, it's going to fail us. Some will experience a mind that fails them. Oh, it's, it's difficult to watch. It hurts to watch someone's mind be impacted negatively by the, the difficulty of this life. But it, some of us are going to experience that. It's hard. But this life is not about this life. The sooner we embrace that, the better off we will be. Our lives have many twists and turns. We all have time constraints. Sometimes our circumstances scream out to us. They scream out to us and we lose focus of the bigger picture. One of the realities that Philippians will help us with is that we have much more to live for than this life. I hope that our studies will lead us to greater gospel proclamation, greater gospel living, greater gospel participation. And I pray that our studies will lead us to live for one another's joy and progress rather than seeking our own joy. And I believe what we'll find is this. When I live for the sake of the gospel, when I live for your progress, when I live for your joy, my joy will be full. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need to remember all that you have done, you are doing, and will do. We need confidence that comes from you, your work. And I pray, Father, for each one sitting here, we all have a different situation. I pray that you would open our eyes to see what it is we need. Help us to recognize where we should be participating that we are not. Help us to see the ministry of the gospel going on around us, and we pray that it would produce thanksgiving to you, joy, from you in us, confidence from you about your working in us, an affection first for you and then for one another, and an abundance of experienced, employed grace for your glory, for the benefit of your church and for the proclamation of the gospel in this world that needs it so desperately. We pray in Jesus' name.